we want to be very intentional to keep ourselves immersed in the direct reading of the scriptures. Commentaries are great and have their place. Theological writings and systematic theologies and all the they all have their place and they're good, but there, there's really no substitute for just sitting down and immersing yourself in the Bible. Hey guys, welcome to episode 109 of the Expositors Collective podcast. Uh, what you're about to hear is uh, the second hour of our two-hour webinar that we put on on Saturday, May 9th. And the first half was uh, Pastor Brian Broderson uh, speaking about the spirit-empowered preaching. And now we have Pastor David Guzik speaking about consistent message and changing styles. And man, what a relevant message in a time like ours. We want the message, which never changes, uh, to reach people in as many different ways as possible. So God's called us to not be creative with the content, but to be innovative in the delivery. And uh, there's no one better than David Guzik to speak to us about both of those things. Uh, There's a lot of Q&A at the end, so make sure that you keep on listening because there's some great questions uh, that are brought to him and to the panel uh, on the spot. All right, I hope that this and all that we do here at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Uh, I'd like to transition over to David Guzik right now. Of course, David is an excellent uh, pastor. Many of us use his resources over at EnduringWord.com. And so, David, we're really glad to have you with us and Uh, Please tell us what you'll be speaking on and take the floor. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Very, very pleased to be here. You know, I've been looking forward to this Saturday of getting together with everybody. But I have to say, I didn't really have it in my mind that I'd see so many familiar and just beloved faces out there. So, you know, I mean, I just think of Nils and Samuel and Ricky and Sarah and Kara, Joe, Kathy, Alan, all the rest of them. I mean, this this is really wonderful. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And the the, the topic I've been uh, instructed to speak on here this day is the idea of a consistent message, but changing styles. And, and of course, so that topic divides itself very naturally into two parts. So first, I want to talk about keeping the message consistent. And then secondly, I want to talk about how we deal with changing styles. So um, the first part I'm going to speak about more briefly, but I think it's really important. How do we keep the message consistent? And I think one of the big challenges with that is that it's really kind of assumed among us when it shouldn't be assumed. I mean, I don't think any preacher, any, you know, pastor plans to go off the rails, plans to drift doctrinally. It's just one of those things that happens. And so we shouldn't just assume that we're all going to be okay with this, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. We we need to be very intentional about keeping the message consistent. And I'll just give you a few things that come to my mind about how to do that. First of all, and I mean, I know this is obvious, but I, I don't want it to be assumed among us. We have to immerse ourselves in the Bible. We just have to be Bible readers, Bible lovers, Bible meditators, Bible memorizers. We, we need to keep ourselves very carefully rooted to the scriptures. 
And again, I just want to say that that shouldn't just be assumed. Oh, yeah, well, we all do that. We all well, we don't all do that or we don't consistently do it or it's easy to drift away from it. It's easy to let the mechanical things in ministry just kind of assume their their mechanical flow. No, we, we want to be very intentional to keep ourselves immersed in the direct reading of the scriptures. Commentaries are great and have their place. Theological writings and systematic theologies and all the they all have their place and they're good, but there's really no substitute for just sitting down and immersing yourself in the Bible. Number two, I think it's important to consider the idea that you can have many teachers, but you should have what I would call carefully chosen fathers. And I get this idea from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul said this, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through my gospel. And again, I just think the simple idea that Paul's getting across there is that there was a lot of people that the Corinthians could learn something from, but but they they didn't have many fathers. They had Paul and his direct group, and that was it. And again, I, I think we should read broadly. We should read people we disagree with. We should read people that we're unfamiliar with. Yeah, read broadly, but intentionally and carefully choose those people that you're going to say, these are my models. These are my fathers, so to speak, in the faith. And and these are the people that I'm really going to take cues from. I, I think that if we're uh, choosing those people like a pinball, working itself through a pinball machine from this person to this person to that person, it, it's very difficult to keep the message consistent then because we're always going to be going off these various models that we've chosen. So have many teachers, but only carefully chosen fathers. That's the second idea about keeping the message consistent. The third one is this. Remember the goal of the ministry. And that's discipleship, um, not just professions of faith, not just doing ministry or whatever, but truly discipleship. Man, I love what Brian had to say in his message about keeping in mind that preaching is a means to an end. It's a tool that we use in the process of discipleship, making disciples. That's really what we need to do in keeping tethered to the idea that what I'm doing is really for the goal of making disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. If we keep that in mind more than building a ministry, so to speak, or making converts or making a name, whatever it is, that'll really keep us grounded in keeping a consistent message. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you'll you'll meet people in, you know, different disciplines, woodworking, auto mechanics, whatever it is, and they're actually more in love with the tools of woodworking than they are with actually working the wood. Uh, or the tools of being an auto mechanic than actually uh, working on cars. And, and listen, we, we love tools. We love preaching. It, it's a great thing for to do, but we, we've got to love the bigger goal more. And that's fulfilling the great commission by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's a third point in keeping the message consistent. And the, the final one in this aspect, what I think it's really important if we want to keep the message consistent we have to receive the gift of contentment. And this is what I simply mean by this, is that sometimes I think we can wander because we think that we're bored in what we're doing. I don't know if that really connects or communicates, but 
there are people who don't say consistent in the message just because they have that itch for something new. And, um, you know, we, we want to have, you know, that, that great uh, title to Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That really has to be our mentality, that we're working the long game here and that we're not just, you know, looking for the latest fad or thrill, but really have that gift of contentment and, and not wander off because we're, we're bored. So all of those things together really, I think, will, will help us contribute to us keeping the message consistent. And that is so important. We don't want to push that off to the side or just assume that we're all going to do it. But then there's the second aspect of it, and that's the idea of changing styles. And for me, I think it's very important for us to understand that in the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, just as Brian explained, we really have permission to change styles to change tools and means in the way that we do that big job of making disciples and preaching the gospel. You know, and if you really think about it, if there was anyone whose ministry was a collection of various styles, it was Jesus Christ. Now, it, this may be because if you think about it, we know more about the ministry of Jesus than we do anybody else in the scriptures. I mean, look, we know a lot about Paul's ministry and maybe somebody like Moses or Elijah or something like that. But we know more about what Jesus actually did in ministry than anybody else. And obviously, it goes without saying, the message of Jesus was consistent. But we can just consider the many different places and situations where Jesus did ministry, where, just for example, his ministry of preaching and teaching. Think about all the different circumstances. He taught on the Temple Mount. He taught in synagogues. He taught uh, at centers of paganism. That would be Caesarea Philippi. He taught in homes. He taught at dinners where people invited him. He taught walking on the road. Uh, he taught from a boat. He taught at formal holidays or feasts. He had planned teachings and spontaneous teachings. Uh, Jesus taught indoors and outdoors. He taught his disciples. He taught seekers. We, we know that he taught in the daytime. He taught in the nighttime. He taught big groups. He taught small groups. Again, when, when you think about the whole collection there, Jesus used a lot of different styles and approaches. He just wasn't stuck in one kind of thing. I'm particularly struck by one of the innovations that Jesus had, and that was when he taught from a boat. And we know that at least on a couple occasions he did that. I think uh, Mark chapters 3 and 4 both mention separate occasions. But think about what a new thing that was to, to teach from a boat. Now, I think Jesus did it out of an eminently practical uh, method or need. Uh, the, the crowd was pressing in on him so much that he figured, I'm either going to get in the, I'm either going to be preaching from standing in the water up to my waist, or I can get in a boat and do that. And, and so Jesus said, out of necessity, this boat can help me do what I'm doing better. So I'm going to use it. And, and I just imagine critics saying of Jesus, well, you can't do that. You know, teaching belongs in a synagogue or some other appropriate place. Jesus said, no, I'm going to teach from the boat. Uh, pe people might come up with objections, you know, what uh, out at the seashore, the, the damp air might make some people sick or uh, there's a lot of mosquitoes down at the shore or, you know, who knows, some enthusiastic person might drown or something like that. But Jesus said, forget it. I'm going to teach from a boat. It suits my purposes well enough. 
So we, we need to be good with different styles and, and even what I would call um, innovations in our preaching. Just the idea of being willing to try new things. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this little book by Spurgeon. I guess it's one of his lesser known books, but this book, Eccentric Preachers by Spurgeon. Uh, not if you've seen or read this book. This little book is great. I highly recommend this book. It's not long. It's a quick read. It's very entertaining. And Spurgeon just talks about, well, eccentric. We would say today weird, weird preachers. And it's about weird guys and how God has used them and just different innovations that they've had in their preaching. Things like that have really influenced me to say it's okay to try new things. But I, I do think we need some principles for wise innovation in our preaching. So I think I've thought of four or five things that I'll just kind of finish up with and, and talk about these. Some wise principles for innovation in our preaching. Number one, Innovation should not be feared. Uh, re remember the great innovation, for example, that John Wesley did in his own day, him, Whitfield, and Wesley together. It wasn't like Wesley was the only one. And the great innovation back then was open-air preaching. You know, Wesley was famous for saying that he said that uh, before he started preaching in the open air, he would have thought it was almost a sin to save souls outside of a church building. But Wesley and Whitfield, um, they started open-air preaching, and God really used it. Now, they, they were led to that out of necessity. They were kicked out of churches. They weren't allowed to preach in churches. But they started what in their day was an innovation. Obviously, they weren't the first ones to do it. Jesus and the apostles did a lot of open-air preaching as well. But in their day, it was a tremendous innovation, and God used it. So we shouldn't be afraid Innovation should not be feared. But then secondly, I think this is very important. Innovation should have a purpose. We're not just looking for novelty for the sake of novelty. That's a trap. And our attention in innovation is not to draw attention to ourselves or to our style or any other such thing. Our intention with innovation is is simply to get the message out in the most effective ways possible. And look, things are changing. People change. Culture changes. Uh, media changes. Opportunities change. Uh, plagues, pandemics come around. Uh, new technological things come. We, we need to understand that we'll have effective ways to do it that will take some innovation to take advantage of. But again, it should have a purpose. The purpose of innovation should not be just to draw a crowd or to make a name. And what we need is something that I've kind of been thinking about more and more lately, maybe because I haven't thought about it so much lately, but I'm thinking about it more and more. Uh, we as preachers, as teachers of God's word, we need more uh, what the older guys would talk about of searching of heart about what our motives are, why we're doing this, why do we want this to succeed? You know, th there's a lot of things in innovation that two people could do the same thing. They could pursue the same innovation. And one person could do it out of a uh, corrupt heart. And another person could do it out of a really good, honest heart before the Lord. Th there needs to be some searching of heart on our part. And listen, I understand. I know that the idea of the searching of the heart, it, it can get out of whack. 
we can become too self-focused, too introspective, too self-condemning. I, I get all that. But surely there's some place for this idea of just checking our motives before God and maybe having some accountability before other people that we trust to say, listen, you, you need to look at me. And if you think I'm doing these things for a wrong purpose, you need to call me on it. Our, our purpose is, again, simply to preach the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we need to make sure that whatever innovation or changes we pursue, that they have a purpose. But then thirdly, we need to remember that innovation should be a servant and not a master for us. Again, if boredom or restlessness leads us to innovate, that isn't good. We don't want to become slaves to innovation that, okay, you know, I came up with something radically new last month or six months ago. What new radical thing am I going to come up with now? No, that, that's being a servant to innovation. And, and, and that's never a good place. We should never make innovation or change our master. It, it should serve us and more importantly, serve the purpose and, and the means of, of the gospel going out. Number four, and I think uh, I've got five of these here. So, you know, whenever the preacher starts counting off a list, you worry about how many he's got. But this is four or five. Uh, innovation and changes should be practical. Um, they, they should have that practical effect and purpose. Uh, Paul's practice of coming into a city, preaching in the synagogue, preaching in the synagogue as long as he was welcome there, and then when he was kicked out of the synagogue, preaching wherever he could after that, a rented hall, in the marketplace, whatever he could, that, that was really intensely practical. I, I think Paul was just figuring it out under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as he went along. And so I think this is a very important thing that that don't be afraid just to be very practical in the changes you make. What is going to be most effective in getting the message out? This platform or that platform? Uh, this uh, length of speaking or that length of speaking? Just th there needs to be a very practical purpose to it because, again, these are tools that we're using. And then finally, let me give just one more thought. And, and by the way, I, I think it kind of goes without saying that I don't mean this to be a comprehensive idea on everything you need to know about keeping the message consistent, but changing styles. Th these are just some thoughts. But the final thought that I'd really want to communicate is this, is that whatever changes we make, whatever innovations we make in our preaching and teaching, they need to be authentic. And I know authentic is an overworked word uh, in, in our modern culture, but there's something very true and honest about that for us to, to grab a hold of. Our innovation needs to be authentic. God has given you, as a preacher, as a teacher of his word, he's given you a style. It's a product of who you are by genetics, by your environment, by your education and training, and especially by your spiritual gifts. God's given you a style don't fall into the trap of trying to imitate others' styles. Uh, be the best you that you can be. So when we pursue this uh, uh, innovation, we need to make sure that we're really running in the lane that God's given us to do. And, and we can only want to do what we can really be authentic. And remember what Paul said, and I, I know I'm taking this a little bit out of context, but I think it applies. I think it's broad enough that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
And if you're just pursuing changes and innovations because you want to uh, imitate what other people do, that's a trap. Um, you, you need to innovate, but, but with authenticity. And, and I think that when you really just get honest before you and the Lord, be guided by the Holy Spirit, as, uh, as Brian spoke previously, God will lead you, I think, into some real, authentic innovation and changes to make. So we don't want to be afraid of changing styles. Um, styles need to change because, as I said before, people change, uh, media changes, um, culture changes, uh, the vocabulary changes. We want to be very real about that. But, but at the same time, uh, we need to stay very grood, rooted and grounded in the message that God's given us. So really, that's what I have to say. I know that there's a lot more questions on the line for this. So uh, Nick and Mike and Pete, maybe you guys can uh, can chime in on some of those. Thank you so much, David. Hey, go for it, Mike. Yeah, fantastic, David. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, the consistency and the innovation. So yeah, it's great to see even more questions popping up through there. And we've got, yeah, 35 minutes to, to go through them. Um, so I, I want to uh, ask Sarah Yardley to unmute her mic and to get us started with this uh, with this next question. David, hi. Um, hi. I'd love to just hear some of the um, clear gospel in innovations that you're seeing happen right now. Just some practical examples that might spark our interest because uh, it's such a time of us reconsidering how we do our ministry. So do you have any practical examples you could give us? Well, I don't know if I can give people practical examples that you're not already aware of, but it's a remarkable thing to see what's out there right now. Uh, what we're doing right now is a pretty remarkable innovation. Uh, what people are doing to reach out on different social media platforms. Uh, you know, the whole thing of, uh, of preaching over Instagram and uh, Instagram TV, that's been a remarkable innovation that people are taking advantage of. All the different varieties that people are using for online services and all of that. And then all the pastoral care that's taking place over different technologies. Th these things are innovations that are kind of variations of all upon a theme. How can we uh, meet the present challenge without being able to connect with people personally face to face. But but these things are out there and it's pretty exciting. I, what I think is that God is developing within us right now um, a whole new skill set, a whole new uh, toolbox, so to speak, that we're going to keep um, in uh, our possession and able to use even when this whole thing is in our rearview mirror we're still going to have these tools and this is going to be a way that our ministry capabilities and potentials are really expanded uh, to, to be able to have what we've known before and then all these things that really uh, out of necessity we've had to be trained in right now. Thank you, David. Hey, I've got the next question for you. And uh, Brian, you could chime in on this one as well. Um, so one of the questions that came in earlier, and I think you guys would both be great at answering this, is could you... Maybe just discuss briefly the difference that you see between teaching and preaching, and um, you know what what are those what are the different formats or forums where you think those are more um, appropriate. Well, I, when I think of the the difference between teaching and preaching, the the first thing I I consider is that there's some definite. I mean, even biblically, as the ideas are presented, there's definite overlap between the two. They're they're not radically different thing or exclusively different things. 
But in the idea of teaching, there's more of a note of instruction, you know, just teaching, instruction, passing on knowledge and that. In preaching, there's more of a note of proclamation, number one, and then number two, persuasion in preaching that are very real. So there's a lot of overlap between the two, and sometimes we use, sometimes I use the terms interchangeably, but but if I, I would just boil it down to that. Teaching has more of a, a sense of instruction, and uh, preaching has more of a sense of proclamation and persuasion. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would echo pretty much the same exact thing. Um, and, and I would even say that in the course of a uh, teaching session, you might even have uh, a diversion into preaching, you know, where you, you kind of go off the, the more instructional or didactic passage to more of a proclamation persuasion kind of a thing. But, but those, those are great distinctions because I think that, um, I mean, just the idea of preaching itself is, is proclaiming. Mm. It, it's, it has that announcement element. And also the persuasion, which is a call to, a, kind of a call to a specific response, you know, to something um, where we're teaching, unless you combine uh, exhortation into the teaching, you, you can be just really instructional you know, which the Holy Spirit uses that as well to educate us. But yeah, but I, I think you're, the way you described it is perfect. Yeah, thank you both very much. Um, so kind of on the, on the issue of um, creativity, which has been addressed previously, uh, my seminary buddy, Isaac Owen, has a question about innovation and perhaps innovation going nearly too far or some of the implications of innovation. So Isaac. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And thanks, David. Um, so my question was, you know, speaking of consistency and the long game, and this is, you know, looking out maybe even 10 years from now, 15 years from now, would you speak about preaching to shortened attention spans? And, you know, it's, it's happening even now, you know, we're seeing a generation coming up that's been entirely brought up on screens. And so how, how do we adapt to the challenge of preaching to short attention spans without turning our message into what might be considered spiritual fast food? I, I think that um, shortened attention spans are something that we have to be real about and recognize that this is a reality. But at the same time, um, we shouldn't just passively expect it, accept it, I should say. Um, people today are capable of much longer attention spans. You see that a lot of content that's very popular with people in the form of podcasts or YouTube videos, some of these are much longer than we might expect. And just judging by the amount of viewership that they have, so what people are attention, uh, are capable of a longer attention span. So I, I think what we need to do is be real about what's there and kind of formulate our, our speaking as to what people can receive and endure. I mean, we remember hearing from Pastor Chuck Smith many years ago. I'm sure the statement wasn't original to him, but it's memorable to hear him say it. Uh, you know, the, the, the mind cannot retain what the seat cannot endure. I mean, you, you can keep speaking, but if people have shut you off and stopped listening, then that's all there is to it. But we want to take our congregation, for example, if we're teaching to a congregation, 
and try to gently stretch them into having a, a longer attention span. But, but the other things that it requires is, first of all, as preachers, we need to really have the ability to read the people that we're speaking to. Now, I know me saying that drives us crazy because that's exactly what we can't do right now when we're preaching to a camera. You have no way to read. And that, that's in some ways one of the most frustrating things about this present season. But when we're preaching in real life, uh, right in front of people, you you have to be in touch with your uh, the, the people you're speaking to, your listeners, your hearers. I, I don't want to call them an audience because we're not performing, but they're people listening to us. And you, you need to be able to read them and, and sense when you're losing, when they're beginning to checking out. And, you know, you need to adjust your speaking to that. Uh, but then the other thing is, too, is that maybe it just means that we be even more deliberate about the use of uh, illustration, about weeding out needless repetition, um, about trying to make our sermons just more compact and more, um, you know, d direct and to the point. I, I mean, I think these things really need to uh, affect both the way that we prepare our message and the way that we deliver it. So, man, it's a great question. I, I would just jump in for a second and say, um, I don't think we should overstate the case for these very limited attention spans like David mentioned, because, um, you know, people can focus in on things that they're interested in or engaging in. The um, Jordan Peterson phenomena has kind of proven that, uh, you know, all these people that, I think many people would have said, you're never going to get these guys in a room to listen to anybody for, you know, more than 30 minutes. And he just completely blew that out of the water. And again, going back to the power of the spirit, you know, when the spirit of God captivates somebody, uh, when I got saved as a, you know, just early in, into my twenties, uh, I, I had zero attention span. I mean, I, I couldn't sit down and read a book. I couldn't do anything. Uh, but all of a sudden, I was completely captivated by the gospel, the power of the word of God. And so I think we can never lose sight of that, that God's spirit has a way of capturing people's hearts. Not that we would preach for 90 minutes, but um, that we don't have to be so fearful of that, uh, just to recognize that, no, when the Lord gets a hold of somebody, um, they're going to engage. Let, let me add one more thing to that. I think one of the most effective things we can do is just pray that God gives us the ability to communicate that we're interested in the Bible and in the text. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you got to do this in a way that fits your own personality. You can't try to imitate what somebody else does. But whatever in your personality communicates, I am interested in this. I find this fascinating. That's magnetic to people. It draws them in. It, it says, well, you know, I, I didn't start out being so interested in this, but this guy's sure interested in what he's talking about. I'll, I'll give it a listen. So we, we need to be able to be able to communicate that in whatever way uh, matches who we are and, and is, again, to use that overworked word, authentic before others. 
That's really good stuff, guys. Thank you very much. Um, I've got another question for you. This one was texted in to me, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. But here's what the question was. On the topic of persuasion, which both of you talked about, at least touched on in one way. So on the one hand, right, you, you mentioned the rhetoricians. Or I don't actually know if that's uh, if I'm using the word you used or not. But 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, um, Paul talks about you know, not speaking with worldly wisdom and persuasion. And then, but in 2 Corinthians 5, he does speak about using persuasion. And so where is the balance between that? Or is he talking about two different types of persuasion? Could you maybe touch on that? Well, I think the, um, you know, if you understand the background to the contrast Paul's making, um, everything in the case of these, uh, the, these Greeks that he's referring to, everything was about the presentation. Everything was about their ability to put the right words together and, uh, you know, to eloquently uh, speak. That, that was their job. That was their profession. There was a competition that existed amongst them at the time. And so he's contrasting himself with that mentality, not so much with the ability to clearly communicate, because, of course, that's very important to be able to uh, clearly communicate. But it, it really more comes down to motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing this to be recognized as an amazing mind and an incredible speaker? Or am I doing this to communicate the truth of the gospel to people? And I, I think it, that was the issue there. Because, um, again, like you said, Nick, uh, you know, Paul is big on persuasion. And Paul had brilliant arguments and things of that nature. You know, somebody asked the question I saw earlier about, was I suggesting that we shouldn't use logic or stay away from apologetics? Absolutely not. I wasn't suggesting anything like that. Again, it comes down to, it comes down to our understanding of what we're doing and our motivation for what we're doing. Brian, I think that's spot on. And, you know, when, when we look at our modern world, we see what an entertainment-focused culture we are. I mean, we, that's just, we understand that. But, you know, in the ancient world, people wanted to be entertained as well. And they didn't have all the technology that we have to be entertained. But one of the things that entertained people was a speaker. And so this whole kind of genre of speakers, the rhetorician in the ancient world, he basically spoke as a form of entertainment. And that's just what it was about. It was about, well, impress me. Impress me with your speaking skills. Impress me with, with this or that or the other thing. And, and that's what Paul was really arguing against. This idea of, of preaching as entertainment, as just to do it to impress others. And, and, and as uh, Brian said, you know, that motivation is the one that Paul warns us against. Yeah, and certainly there is some balance in this. You know, like I think about George Whitfield, who used his skills and the, and the way that he was naturally inclined, right, to, as, a, um, as a performer, right? So he, would, he received a lot of criticism in his day for being too performance or presentation focused. Um, theatrical. Yeah, theatrical. And yet, uh, I, I think... He, you guys are hitting on a really key point, which is it, it gets down to motivation. 
Somebody who's been involved with the Expositors Collective a lot is Riley Taylor, and you know he's a movie maker by trade then and schooling, and so he's been making very high quality videos, um, which with great production value. And yet, I know that his goal with that is not that people would, you know, be amazed at his production skills. It's that um, that they would. It's a way of getting them to focus so that he can get the truth into their hearts. Cool. Mike, you up with the next question? I do, yes. So this, this question was asked a, a while ago, but I think it has to do with even the current question of attention spans. Uh, Niels, would you like to read, unmute your mic and read your question from earlier on? Sure, thank you. Hey guys, good to see you all. Uh, well, my question is about uh, Brian Chappell's book, Christ and the Preaching. He talks a lot about and is very strong about having one main point and only one main point in a sermon. Is that how you view it? Or, and that's for all you guys in, in the committee. Is that how you view it? Or do you have several points? And as a bonus, has that changed here during uh, COVID-19 and online preaching? Or how is that? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, again, so, so we're talking about preaching. Brian Chappell is talking about preaching in the sense of persuasion and proclamation. Um, what I try to do, uh, it's, I, I have a funny way of um, doing my outlines over the years. My title, I want my title to be a sentence, in a sentence, what the message is about. So you can read the title and you can know this is the point of what Brian is going to say, or this is the point of what he did say. So sometimes I won't even, I won't even put a title on my notes until I'm done with my outline. And sometimes I'll have to sit and say, what, what one sentence or what two words or what one word best summarizes what I am seeking to communicate. So I think you can have sub points and I think you probably should. But I do think that if you're preaching, there ought to be one main point yeah. that, that comes out clearly when it's all said and done. Yeah, and for example, like, I, I, I agree with you, Brian. Um, I try and do the same thing. So my last Sunday's sermon was the title, which was called Being the Church When You Can't Go to Church. And I went through the whole book of Ephesians, not re read through all six chapters, but picked out all the reoccurring themes that Paul and the metaphors that he had has in the epistle of Ephesians concerning the church. And so it kind of went all over the place in the text, but it was that one point. We can still be the church without going to church. So what does, what does the church look like or, you know, in these times? Yeah. And I think that's a big point that we've really always um, emphasized at Expositors Collective is that um, we want you to have your points build on each other rather than just having, um, you know, David's used a phrase before like read and ramble, right? So you can make a lot of things, you can say a lot of things and they might actually be true things, 
But the idea of expository preaching is that we're exposing the text, meaning that we're exposing the meaning of the text for the reader. And in order to do that, we want to hit on that one main point, and then all of our points, maybe they, uh, you know, I've used the example, they, they go like a trail of breadcrumbs that lead you from one point to the next um, until you arrive at that great point. Or answer that big question, like Pete's saying, how do we be the church when we can't gather as a church? Okay, let's go to our next question. I'm going to ask Meg. Um, Meg, if you would unmute yourself and read your question. You had one about, um, about starting out as a teacher, preacher. Hi. Um, so my question was just, um, I very recently started um, out on my uh, preaching, teaching journey. And um, I just wondered actually um, for both David and for Brian, um, what your experiences were like when you first started teaching? What were your kind of main growth uh, lessons during that time? And what would you recommend as some pointers for somebody who's just starting out? Well, blessings to you, Meg. I, I think of it this way, is that th there, there's definitely a spiritual gift that God gives for teaching and preaching and the communication of his word. It, so th there's a spiritual aspect of it. But there's something um, interesting about that gift is that normally God gives it in what, what I would call seed form. In other words, it's there, it's real, but it takes time to grow. It takes time to develop. And, and really, um, I think effective preaching and teaching ministries are really built over time. And especially the time, I know this is kind of a theme that's dear to Brian's heart because I've heard him speak on it many times, but really it takes time to find kind of your own voice in preaching. When mm -hmm. we begin, we're, we're kind of um, just by nature, we're, we tend to be imitating other people. And really that's okay. That's just kind of a beginning. But over time, we need to work to the place where we really find um, the, the preacher, the teacher God has intended us to be. In, in all that mm. that means. Uh, so really, it's a matter of just just plugging away at it and, and looking for the opportunities that God would give us to teach and preach and to see the gift develop just by repetition, by, um, you know, it's like Hebrews describes with the gift of discernment. It, it develops by means of use. You, you just mm. keep doing it and God will develop it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I just want to say, I am so thrilled that you are stepping into this gift. That is just fantastic. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think David summed it up pretty well. Um, yeah, I, you know, and something David mentioned earlier as well, I think, uh, you know, you find people that you resonate with, you, you listen to them. I think all of us that have preached for a long time, we had somebody that was that person that influenced us. So for me, obviously, it was Pastor Chuck, probably for, you know, David as well, and probably most of us guys here, that was our initial uh, model, you know, for, for preaching. And then as time went on, you kind of uh, resonated with some different voices. And then in the midst of that, you start sort of cultivating your own. But... Um, using 
the gift and taking advantage of the opportunities that come your way. And like David said earlier, just being as immersed in the word as you can. Um, th- those mm-hmm. are the best ways to go about it, I think. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and Meg and everybody else, I would just remind you of our podcast. And uh, we have 105 episodes of people answering that question, different people. So uh, hopefully you can just binge those 105 episodes of people sharing the wisdom that they've had of uh, how they've learned and grown. And I want to give I want to give a shout out for Expositors Collective podcast. It is fantastic. You guys do a great job. I listen to every episode, and um, I love it. Awesome, Mike, you're up with the next question. Thanks, guys. I'm I'm blushing. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really really glad. And yeah, that, that's a frequent question that nearly every interview. It's um, what do you wish that you knew when you started? And so yeah, feel free to to binge those. Uh, you know this one. This one might end up being our last question for the session, depending on how things go. But um, uh, Daniel uh, Viveros, I might be mispronouncing that. Uh, Daniel was in my group at the Expositors Collective in San Diego. So it's good to, to see you again. Uh, Daniel, would you mind um, reading out your question from earlier? No, so so actually, actually I was in um, group six with, uh, with David Guzik. Oh, oh, I, I, I adopted you in, in my heart. You were, you were part of my group. That's <laughs> uh, no. no, okay, though. Um, uh, hi, guys. So, yeah, the question that I did have was because um, uh, David kind of talked about um, innovations and um, changing the styles, but having a consistent mm-hmm. message. Um, so when developing your message um, and you're developing that, and into that uh, innovated the innovation would it consider like the cultural um you know uh maybe the cultural the culture um like the audience and um but not as uh in the way where you're trying to um be relevant or you're trying to um like say hey uh make the message um you know understandable for them but um, this can, do you consider the, the culture like in, um, in the ministry that you're, uh, teaching in? Like for me, um, I'm getting more involved with, uh, in teaching in, uh, youth ministry. So that has, a um, kind of talked about, uh, the attention span and stuff like that. But, um, uh, just, the, the different, um, like Fontana, uh, cause I'm at Living Way Fontana and Fontana has a different culture than Costa Mesa does. And I just think that, um, when you're changing your style to have that in mind, would, would you say that uh, would be correct or? Yeah, well, I, I would definitely say that, Daniel. Listen, mm-hmm. it, it's important, and, and the concept has been around a long time, that it's important for us right where we are to try to take a look at the people we're trying to reach the way missionaries who go to another country would look at the people. Yeah. You know, you, you learn about them. What, what makes them tick? What, what are they attracted to? What are their needs? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What, how can we best reach them? And, and, and to really have that, that attitude as missionaries coming in, even though it's a community we've grown up in or are familiar with, but to really go back and doing that very basic thinking. How can I reach these people for Jesus Christ? And not to be afraid to use some innovation along the way. And you know, when we do those things, uh, some of the things we try are going to fail, uh, and that's okay. We don't need to be terrified of that. 
But we just need to keep plugging away with really this idea that how can I reach these people? And the more we know about the people that we're trying to reach and, and what, uh, what can connect with them, I think the better communicators we're going to be. Thank you. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We've got a few minutes left. We're going to do something we did for the first time at our Las Vegas event, and that is a lightning round. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of these questions and just like a one-sentence answer. So if we could have Pete, uh, you can unmute yourself. So the, the five of us, Pete, David, Mike, and Brian, uh, just one-sentence answers to some of these questions. Okay, so I'm going to start with this one. Uh, this one mentioned, David, you mentioned find fathers instead of just teachers. What would you recommend as qualities we should look for in these spiritual fathers? Uh, wisdom, maturity, uh, faithfulness to God's word. Those are just three things that come to mind. Okay. Next question. Brian, this one's for you primarily. How do you know if um, the Spirit showed up? How do you know if it worked, right? Preaching in the Spirit. Um, not by how you feel, um, by the impact on the lives of the people. Okay. Thanks. Next one. Uh, if Christology is part of expository preaching, how do you deal with the temptation of drawing typos of Christ? I think that means like incorrect types of Christ from the Old Testament narratives and still lead people to Christ. I think that there's, I mean, yeah, I think there's better and there's worse ways to show people Christ through the Old Testament. And please don't take this out of context, but I think even doing a, a sloppy job is better than not doing it at all. Um, so I would say go for it, but try to learn and grow in ways to do it better and more and more responsibly. Uh, Spurgeon said that every, every village in England had a road in it that you can get to London in. But at the same time, some roads are the main roads and some roads aren't the main roads. So look for those main roads. Okay, Pete, this one. Was that one sentence? That was good. That was a long sentence. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. Pete, here, this one's for you. What are some practical things that you do personally in order to make sure you don't lose heart while teaching instead of focusing more on delivery? Lose, lose heart while preaching or focus on delivery? Yeah, let's just say, what are some things you do to make sure that you don't lose heart in preaching ministry? Oh, I think uh, my one sentence is, Keep your identity in Christ. Good. Awesome. Okay, guys, we're going to slowly wrap this up. And uh, here's what I'd like to do. Just a few announcements from me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you guys all off mute. And we're just going to all collectively clap and say thank you to Brian and David. But before I do that, I want to hype a few things for you, push a few things. One of them is our podcast. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast you need to just do it like right now. So go and subscribe to the podcast and just start binging those episodes. It'll be great. We have 105 episodes. It's hard to believe. We've been doing um, episodes every week. And, and now actually during COVID-19, we've actually been doing sometimes more than one a week. So uh, also follow us on social media. We're on every platform except for TikTok. I think Mike was thinking about learning some new dances. So we might be adding TikTok to our repertoire soon. <laughs> But uh, for now, we're on you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and we also just recently started a Facebook private group. And that was because we have this Instagram private group that's been really great. But it has limits, so like number limits on that. So 
we have moved over to a Facebook private group. The Instagram one is still going, but I definitely would encourage you, if you haven't joined yet, that's a way for us to keep the conversation going um, offline or, I guess, outside of our meetings like this. So join that Facebook private group. If you are not sure how to find it, then just uh, email us, expositors at calvarychapel.com. We'll get you all the info. And uh, you just have to send a request, and we'll let you into that group, of course. And feel free to invite others as well who this would apply to. So our next uh, physical gathering was supposed to be in Seattle. That was actually supposed to be uh, today. But we don't know when the next one will be. We don't know if we'll be able to reschedule Seattle if, or if we'll just have to hopefully move on to our next one in Hawaii. But just be uh, keeping up on updates for that. If you are not part of our mailing list, then go to our website, expositorscollective.com. And on there, there's a place where you can sign up for our, our email list. And we'd love it if you would do that. That way we can just send you uh, updates and info as we get them. So right now, let's, uh, I'm going to unmute everybody. And let's just say thank you to Pastor David and Pastor Brian. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure Thanks. to be with you. Thank you so much. See you guys. We'll see you guys. Thank you. Have a blessed hey, day. Don't skip Seattle. Okay? Don't skip Seattle. Don't skip Seattle. All right. Love God everybody. All right. Thank yeah. you, guys. God bless you guys. It was great. Thank you. Ciao. Thank Hey, thanks for listening, and thank you for listening all the way to the very, very end. Uh, Nick did a great job of, yeah, wrapping things up, summarizing various ways that you can stay connected, and um, yeah, the um, Expositors Collective private Facebook group. Uh, since this was recorded, a lot of people have joined, and there's been some good conversations uh, we've uh, helped with um, sermon outlines, and there's just been yeah some good continuing, ongoing communication about how to improve in our sermon preparation and delivery. So uh, you're invited to that. I think you have to find the group, uh, not the page, but the group, and then I think request the to be added, and uh, I'll add you in there. Great. Thanks so much to David. Um, thanks again to Brian for giving some of their time to this. Uh, again, uh, Nick did a great job, not only of the announcements at the end, but uh, moderating uh, most of the questions. Thanks to Pete. Uh, thanks to the people that showed up uh, and also those that are right now listening. I, I really appreciate it. And you know what? Your hearers, your congregation, they're going to benefit from you taking time to grow in your teaching and preaching skill set. So God bless you, and uh, through you, may he bless them. Okay, have a great week, and uh, I'll catch you next Tuesday.
setting this up. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit.